0: Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile Life, the podcast. This is episode 82 called Monica. Okay, before we get started with Monica, I just wanted to remind everybody listening that if you are going through an infertility journey or you know somebody who is, we have this incredible event coming out on October 24th and it's called Fertility Rally Live. We are going to have over 30 speakers, it's all virtual and we're doing all these different breakout sessions. We have keynote speakers who are Samantha Bush and Anna Victoria. We have two incredible panels. One is with all female REs, and one is with influencers. We're gonna be talking about social media and infertility and just dealing with it as influencers and big voices in our community. Some of the breakout sessions you guys are talking about don't let infertility steal your voice, embryology 101 with an embryologist, the power of community, everything you need to know about genetic testing, and so much more. So we would love for you to join us on October 24th. Go to fertilityrally.com or check out our Instagram, which is at fertilityrally for all the info. See you there. Okay, guys. So let's talk about my guest today, who happens to also be a good friend of mine. Her name is Monica. You guys might know her from the Instagram community as my so-called IVF. She's also the head of business development at Fruitful. So she works with our friend Elise Ash, who has also been on the podcast. And Monica, what do I say about her? She's just the greatest. She's super raw. She's super real. She's super funny, very supportive of everybody in this community, really wants to make a difference and help educating and supporting and just being there for people she and I have secondary infertility in common. So we are going to talk about that today. And we're also going to talk about Jordan Catalano, Gwyneth Paltrow, Oprah, and vaginas. So see how it all shakes out after (laughs) this little announcement. So without further ado, this is Monica's infertility story.
1: Hi, babe. Hi. I'm not in my under the stairs studio. I was going to
0: ask you, are you hiding under the stairs? Like we when- can't,
1: I tried, I went down there and I tried to sit and I was like, this is not happening. Oh my I'm God, way too yeah. large and just can't like get into that nook anymore. I can't do it.
0: <laughs> You've gone beyond the nook. Way, um, I'm
1: way too far gone. Yeah. Does so this wait, sound are, okay though in here?
0: Sounds great. Yeah. Hopefully.
1: Are you, so your due date is soon. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So they're going to induce me if I don't, I have my 38 week appointment on Monday and God. they'll give me my induction date, mm-hmm. which will probably be starting the evening of October 11th. Okay. It, but like, hopefully I just go before that. I prefer not to be induced. I was induced with Isla and it's not an easy process. Yeah. But
0: Did you have whatever. her vaginally?
1: Yes. Okay. Yeah. And it was like 37 hours. My body was like, "Oh my god, we're not ready." <laughs> we don't. She wasn't ready to leave. I wouldn't dilate. They had to manually dilate me with a balloon, Oof. which is pretty barbaric. I can't believe they haven't figured out something better than that at this point. But like the drugs weren't working, so yeah, fingers crossed. That I that had two C
0: sections, so I don't know that whole like labor process at all. They were both scheduled because with ever I had placenta previa. I think we talked about this last time. Yeah. And then with Sunny, they were like, do you want to do another C-section? I was like, sure. Like, let's take the guessing guesswork out of it. Like I've been through so much. At this yeah. Point. How was the recovery um, for it your was totally fine. And I think it was because I had like been exercising my entire pregnancy and like, was yeah. in like pretty good shape. So I think that helped. I mean, it was, you know, a couple days of like soreness, but I was like up and walking around on like day two, probably,
1: Yeah. Most of Um, my friends who've had C-sections had like really good recoveries. They mm -hmm. weren't horrific. Yeah. Um, I think the only
0: thing is that there is part of my abs that are just like crushed and like Collapsed and like I was in a Pilates class last year and she's like, flex your muscles and I was like I am and she's like, no like right here and I was like that's I am and she's but like, that's oh. what they are now and she's like did you have a C section and I was like yeah and she's like oh that happens sometimes and I was like fuck
1: that sucks I have that thing called diastasis I can never pronounce it diastasis yeah. rasta whatever yeah. and it's just gonna be that way I guess I mean you can have surgery to. Fixed it, but right. (sighs) Happy
0: birthday, by the way. I know you just had a birthday.
1: Thank you. The big three, seven. Um, it was fine. I'm not a big birthday person. No, it's just, I love other people's birthdays. Um, I think I was actually traumatized when I was eight years old, (laughs) my mom (laughs) threw me a surprise party. And I obviously didn't know because it was a surprise and Mm -hmm. we had just done puff paint Mm t-shirts And the day before, and I wanted to wear my puff paint t-shirt. She told me we were going to get ice cream with some friends and I wanted to wear my puff paint t-shirt. So she was like, come downstairs. And I was like, where's my puffy paint t-shirt? She's like, it's in the laundry room. And I came downstairs without a shirt on to (laughs) an entire room filled with people, including boys from my
0: class. Did you have boobs? Speaking of boobs. I was eight. Little ones? I
1: didn't, I didn't have boobs at eight. It was my eighth birthday, but- I was aware enough to know that, like, there are boys here and everybody's seeing me. And after that, I just was, like, really not into my birthday.
0: Oh, my God. (laughs) So what happened when you walked in? Was everybody like,
1: ah! I was – my mom was like, what are you doing? And I was like, I just asked you where my shirt was. Like, what do you – I didn't – You know, I think I'm just coming downstairs topless in my own home. Right.
0: Um, That is traumatizing. So you think that ruined it for you, birthdays? Like –
1: I, I really loved birthdays up until that. And then after that, it was just kind of like, oh God, I don't know. But I love other people's birthdays. I'm not anti-birthday, by right, any right. but it's interesting because what I like to do on my birthday is just be with my family.
0: Mm-hmm. I don't
1: like to have like a big party. I don't like to, I love to entertain and do all of that stuff throughout the course of the year and throw a party for somebody else. But for me on my birthday, I just want to be with people who like, it would be okay if they saw me without my shirt on.
0: Right. Maybe you should just make that your tradition. Is you just come downstairs every topless. birthday without your
1: shirt on? Not a birthday, birthday if Monica's
0: not topless.
1: Yeah, I just remember the rest of the party being like mortified, and yes. there was no coming back from it. My poor mom had put all of this work into this party, and it was yeah. just like terrible. Oh my god! In full transparency
0: we did this already and I lost the fucking (laughs) recording. (laughs) I didn't lose it. I know where it is. It's in computer jail, but I'm not going to get it back for like another month at least. And I didn't want to wait to publish your episode. So listeners, I fucked up, but we're doing this again. And I hope it's as good as our first conversation.
1: I think it's going to be great. And I'm glad you fucked up because now we get to talk again. I know. I was actually really excited to talk to you again
0: because we had such a great time. I don't remember what we talked about before. Do you?
1: No, I really don't. So this will be fresh and different. The only thing I really remember talking about is our love of Oprah and Jordan Catalano. So, okay, let's start
0: there. We'll try to recreate that part. So your Instagram handle is my so-called IVF as everybody probably knows. And I think I had asked you, obviously, did you love Jordan Catalano from my so-called life? So let's start there.
1: Yes. And I did love Jordan Catalano from My So-Called Life. He was the like epitome of what I thought I wanted in a boyfriend. I was in fifth grade when My So-Called Life came out okay. and obsessed with the show, felt all of the feels from Angela Chase, was just like, I'm so misunderstood by my parents. And then Jordan Catalano becomes her like boyfriend for one episode and they're making was it out- just in the- one. It was, well, she had this giant crush on him forever. Right. And they make out in the boiler room for right. one episode. Yes. And then he kind of ditches her after that. Right. But there was still something about him that I was like, that's what I want in a boyfriend. And it's really interesting that a fifth grader would just be like this trash guy, Jordan Catalano, who treats Angela Chase like shit, seems to be the perfect boyfriend. <laughs> that was your dream guy. <laughs> it's not or like my Prince Charming or like no. somebody from a Disney movie. It's that's no, awesome it was though. literally Jordan Catalano with his like flannel shirts and greasy hair and like unshoweredness. I mean, he was fine though. Yeah. I and admit. like smoking cigarettes. I was like, that's yeah. what I want. And yeah. so yes, obsessed with Jordan Catalano and still right. a giant Jordan Catalano fan. I remember, okay. I remember where we went next. So then I said,
0: oh, I had seen Claire Danes on the street one time in Soho. Yeah. And she gave me the dirtiest look. I don't know her. I've never met her. I'm sure she's a lovely person, but we were walking on the street and she gave me like elevator eyes, and I was like, "What the fuck?"
1: That so, is, I don't
0: know. That was weird. And then you told your Gweneth story. Okay, I'm, it's all coming back to me now. Yes,
1: so. and it, speaking of elevator eyes, yes, when I was working at Condé Nast, I this was in 2006, I got into an elevator and I saw this like adorable baby girl wearing the cutest outfit with these little tiny Ugg boots. And I'm saying to this little girl, oh my gosh, you're just adorable. And I go to the mom to say, your daughter is adorable. And I look and it's Gwyneth Paltrow Mm -hmm. and she takes, she had a shawl and she takes this shawl and she puts it over Apple's face and turns around (laughs) and faces the back of the elevator. And I was there with my friend, uh, Christy, who was also an assistant at the time. And we just sat in the elevator, riding down five flights being like, what the fuck just (laughs) happened? (laughs) And I'm sure Gwyneth Paltrow is a lovely human being. I don't know. I mean, yeah. she's- No, I
0: interviewed her once. This I told you this before too, that oh yeah, she, I, right. we did a, I did a cover story on her for Harper's Bazaar and I loved her. We had lunch together. It was just the two of us and she was fucking hilarious. She ate all the food. She was fun. I really liked her. But again, we were doing a, a magazine article. So like, is she not going to be cool for that? You know?
1: I also just think at the time, like giving her a little bit of grace in the sense of I can only imagine what it would be like to be a famous person and have this child and constantly have people Googling and oogling at your child. But I genuinely saw the kid first. Right. Didn't see Gwyneth Paltrow. Right. Right. And I was, you know, all of God, 22 years old, just crushed that Gwyneth Paltrow had done this to me. Exactly. Um, and I took it very personally. But As you should. She let's all like remember you, Gwyneth Paltrow definitely does not remember that interaction.
0: <laughs> I think she will definitely be listening to this and she might reach out to you.
1: To apologize? And be like,
0: I'm so sorry, Monica, <laughs> that I scarred you in that Conde elevator. Yeah,
1: but I'm actually, I think that, no matter whether you like her or not, she's a polarizing individual in the sense of, and this is how we brought up Oprah. Oprah always (laughs) talks about if you're going to be making change and talking about things in a different way, you're always going to get negative feedback. And that's just like Gwyneth Paltrow to a T. So I respect her immensely, even though I don't always agree with a lot of stuff that she says. Yeah, like the vagina candle. Oh my God, I did it. (sighs) You did a post about that. I did, because here's the deal, ladies- I'm going to tell you this right now. Nobody's vagina smells like orange rind and cedar with bergamot. Whatever yours does it? Mine does. No. Well, you know what? Mine's you have more of a special of a
0: tangerine uh, with notes of lemon.
1: What a lovely vagina you have! Mine it smells is. like it's lovely. The mat of a gym floor. <laughs> <laughs> That's like what mine smells like. So I don't know what I'm doing wrong, but. It just doesn't smell like yours. <laughs> I don't. I'll,
0: I'll give you some tips later. Thank offline. you. Um, but maybe that's because you're about to give birth. You are pregnant. We should let the uh, listeners know that. Yeah. And we will talk about infertility. We're going to get into it. But you could go at any time. You could go during this call.
1: I actually was thinking this morning. I was a little bit crampy, and I was like, "How interesting would it be if my water broke during that would this be amazing podcast?" But yes, I'm 38 weeks pregnant. So yes. We're down to the wire. A long journey to get here, but yes. happy to finally be here. So the name is the name going to be Jordan,
0: Gwenny, or Oprah?
1: The name is going to be actually a combination, and it's going to be Gwyneth, Jordan with a Y, Oprah, Karen. Okay. If it's a girl, okay. and if it's a boy, it will be Jordan. I don't know. I'm just with Jordan, o. George, O, and that's it. <laughs> All right. You uh, because we, don't first know for, we don't know for having a boy or a girl.
0: That's right. Okay. So tell me, all right, let's, let's get into it. Tell me yes. about, I know you have a daughter already and you and I have secondary infertility in common. So let's start back at the beginning when you first got married, when you started to try to have kids and all that, what happened?
1: So my husband and I got married in 2011 mm-hmm. and in, 2010, my mom had been diagnosed with cancer. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of sped up our timeline in general. Um, She was diagnosed with stage three colon cancer. And Neil and I knew we wanted to get married, but we had not been in any sort of rush to go anywhere. So we ended up getting married the following year. We -hmm. always knew we wanted kids. My mom's cancer was stable, but in 2013, she got diagnosed with stage four cancer. So sorry. Thank you. And I just looked at Neil. I remember sitting, we were living in New York at the time, but we were in Atlanta over the summer of 2013. And just looking at Neil, my husband, and kind of breaking down, crying, saying, not only do I want to give my mom the chance to be a grandmother, but I want to give my parents a chance to be grandparents together. Mm. And I was candidly nowhere near ready to start having kids. Mm -hmm. Um, I was turning 30 that year and just working on my career really hard and Mm -hmm. having fun in New York city. And, but I just wanted to give that opportunity to my mother. And I knew I always wanted to be a mom. Like Mm -hmm. it was something that was in me always. And so Neil and I started trying and took us about five months to get pregnant with Isla, which I always say at the time felt like forever, but how naive I was. (laughs) was So, so naive.
0: Were you guys doing anything aside from just trying, were you tracking or doing like OPKs or anything?
1: Yeah, I was doing OPKs. And the thing is the OPKs for me never really worked. I never got like that particular LH surge. I never got, you know, when, if it's the smiley face, I never got the rattly smiley face. That's like, go do it now. I never got any of that. <laughs> the rattle leaf <leaves. laughs> You know, the one that's like, it shakes a little bit and yeah, you're yeah. like, oh, okay. We have to do it literally it's like right so now. So excited that it's like, yes. Oh. Yeah. And interestingly enough, Neil and I, one month, we both traveling a lot for work and we were like, well, this month we're going to miss my ovulation window. So we're not even going to try. And one drunken night mm-hmm. we'd have sex and then like three and a half weeks later, I was like, Oh, I my boobs hurt, like hadn't gotten my and then I was like, Oh, I haven't gotten my period yet. This is weird. Took a pregnancy test and I was pregnant. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny to me now looking back on that, that I had a, a an opportunity in my life that I was that person who just got pregnant when they weren't trying. Right. Um, and my daughter was born in October of 2014. Uh-huh. Um and when she was about two and a half, we started trying again and nothing was happening. Mm-hmm. And I went to my OB and she was like, don't worry about it. It can take up to a year to get pregnant. You have been pregnant before. You have nothing to worry about. Mm-hmm. So and you weren't
0: like getting pregnant and not, and having a miscarriage or You just like yeah, weren't. It wasn't. Zero.
1: I was just not getting pregnant at all. Month after month, after month, after month, and after six months, it just so happened that I had a pap smear appointment and my OB had said, you have nothing to worry about. So come to find out, <laughs> you know, we keep trying and trying and we end up moving to Atlanta and I switched OBs obviously where we move back to our hometown and my OB in Atlanta says the same thing as my OB in New York. But at this point, it had been a little over a year and a half that we had been trying mm-hmm. and she said to me, you know what, if you're not pregnant by December, this was uh, December of 2018. She's like, if you're not pregnant by December, let's make you an appointment for to go to a fertility clinic. This was in July of 2018. So I proactively made an appointment and I'm so glad I did because when I called them, they didn't even have any availability until November as it was. Mm-hmm. So come December, still not pregnant. And I go to my first RE appointment thinking, I'm going to get all of these answers and we'll start doing tests today. And, you know, that's just not how it goes. So I'm sitting at my RE's office and he starts asking me a ton of questions about, you know, my cycles and things that I'm noticing. And my husband's sitting there with me and we start the run of the gamut of tests. But unfortunately, I had just had my period So we had to wait like another full cycle because as I learned in that appointment, everything is cycle-based when you're doing your testing. Mm -hmm. So I had to wait. And then a few of the tests that I had came back inconclusive. So I had to have those tests done over again. Mm -hmm. And my husband and I did not get our final diagnosis and plan until May of 2019. Okay. And as it turns out, I have a closed tube and a lazy ovary. So the tube that's attached to a perfectly good ovary who loves to produce eggs is closed mm-hmm. and then the ovary that never likes to produce has an open tube. So mm-hmm. and in addition to that, my okay. husband had morphology and motility issues with his sperm. Okay. So here we are and it's either when I look back at my daughter that she's a miracle baby mm-hmm. or a lot changed over the course of those, you know, basically three years that we had been trying.
0: Right. Let me ask you this. So you tell me about the emotional side of this for you. You know, this is a long time to be trying. You're super open. You're like pretty much an open book about your feelings and Instagram. And you're such a like raw person. What were you, what were you going through like emotionally? And how is it between you and Neil?
1: I was going through hell. I was, Feeling so overwhelmed with the fact that as a woman, I am supposed to be able to do this. And this was before we even got our diagnosis. So I'm taking all, I'm taking on all the blame myself before we know that there's even anything going on with Neil. Our sex life in general was dead because Mm -hmm. we had been trying for so long and it became that, you know, horrible sex situation where I was like, okay, we need to have sex now. And then that puts a lot of pressure on him because as a woman, we can really have sex anytime we want. Like it, mm-hmm. that's the, let's call a spade a spade. We can. And my husband started to have pressure put on him. And from a performance perspective, he would be like, I can't even like get it up right now because mm-hmm. there's so much pressure. I remember and that then- happened to us too. Yeah. I started taking it personally. I was like, oh, so you're not attracted to me anymore? Like you can't just, and it, it spiraled. And our marriage was, there was a point where we were talking about separating, like, and do we even want to do this? And we loved each other as friends, but we had fallen out of that, like love Mm -hmm. of husband and wife. And it was really hard. And I realize now looking back on it, how much I actually emasculated him Mm. from putting all of this pressure of like, you know, saying things to him, like, you're not attracted to me. You should just be able to like, look at me and and have an erection and like, whatever. And I was not processing at all what it is like to be the person who like sex on demand. Like, you have to be able to physically do something. Whereas me, it's like, We'll get it a little wet down there and call it a day. Like great. Right, exactly. You know? <laughs> exactly. Not to not to get too detailed, but you right. know it's me.
0: No, totally.
1: And it was just making me a a lunatic. I was irritable all of the time. And this was before we got the diagnosis. I don't think I was a very good friend to my friends during that time. Mm-hmm. I was I wasn't as open as I am now, you know, I did talk to a lot of my friends about the fact that we were having trouble, but I wasn't talking about the fact that it was impacting my life so much. And I kind of retreated into myself. And Mm -hmm. when we finally got our diagnosis, that there was something wrong, not only with me, but with Neil and together, there was a reason this wasn't working. Mm -hmm. There was a moment of like, Oh, thank God. Mm -hmm. Like, thank God there is something going on here and we have an action plan and we can move forward.
0: Right. Were you, did you guys ever get to the point where you went to like therapy or anything or how were you working it out relationship wise?
1: We had actually gone through a really rough patch in our marriage in a little bit before, a little bit before that. So my mom died in... August of 2015. And after my mom died, I was a wreck. Mm -hmm. And but like very aware of like, okay, I am a wreck right now, and we need to do something about this, and we should go to therapy. So we had been to therapy before. Mm -hmm. And when we were going through this, I did not want to go to therapy because I didn't want to really, as a person who loves to talk about what's going on, I just didn't want to talk about it with anybody who. I feel like now looking back on it, I almost didn't want any solutions. I just wanted to be angry. Mm -hmm. And I regret that. I really do wish that we had gone to therapy again. Um, because I think that would have given us a toolbox Mm -hmm. and, um, we did end up going to therapy after our diagnosis, just to kind of figure out how we could get our like love life and sex life back on some sort of track. Mm Um, which was super helpful because we both were like in this place of you're my best friend and my roommate, but I'm not really attracted to you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so how are we going to get back on track on that?
0: Yeah. I think that's so common that happened to us too, to a (laughs) certain degree. And it's hard. I mean, this is going through a traumatic experience, you know, it can make or break you for sure. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's talk about where you were at, like medically. So what you had a plan and then what happened?
1: So we had a plan and we, my husband earlier on, so in, he had his semen analysis done in January and it, we had known about his motility and morphology issues then. And so he got put on like a strict diet. He lost 20 pounds. He cut back on caffeine. He cut back on alcohol. He, you know, started really taking care of himself and also started taking this pill called Conception XR, which is by therologics, And it's supposed to boost motility and morphology. And it worked a combination of those things worked. candidly, I'm not sure if it was, if the vitamin had anything to do with it or not, because he really did some major lifestyle changes, Mm -hmm. but all together, um, his sperm became, you know, this was also really funny too. We go for an appointment and the doctor's like, ah, congratulations, Neil, you now have super sperm. And I was like, man, I, I'm not going to get any of that type of championship over here because we're not opening up my tube and my ovary is always going to be lazy. Great. Super tubes. Yes. (laughs) But the good news was that because his sperm had made improvements, we were able to start with IUI. So we did an IUI at the end of May, which ended in chemical pregnancy, which Mm -hmm. is where you get a positive pregnancy test. And then very quickly, you get your period. And my understanding of it is that basically the sperm and the egg meet and it may implant for like a second, or maybe it doesn't implant, but it's enough for your HCG levels to go up, mm-hmm. but it doesn't stick and it passes, and you get your period with like in a week or two. Mm-hmm. My second IUI ended in miscarriage at seven and a half weeks, mm-hmm. which I still don't think I've actually fully processed that. I I was yeah. so from the chemical pregnancy so skeptical after like finally getting a positive pregnancy test after all of that time and then so quickly for that to disappear that even though I had this pregnancy that was continuing forward, I was like, well this could end at any second. Right. And it ended up not sticking. And our third IUI that we did, we had to wait a couple of, we had to wait like two months in between for everything to pass like for I did not have to have a DNC, it passed naturally. Mm -hmm. And the third IUI just failed completely. Mm -hmm. And by that point, I had actually never known if I wanted to do IVF. My husband was all like, we'll do anything that we can to have another baby. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, we have this beautiful girl. We're so lucky to have her. And I'm not sure I'm in a place where I want to put my body through everything that IVF is for no guarantees. Like, look at what we just went through with three IUIs. Like, I don't know if I have it in me. So we took some time to think about it. And we started the IVF process in October of 2019. Mm -hmm. I finally Mm -hmm. was like, yeah, I'm going to do this. When do you think think you changed your mind? When my daughter started asking me why she was the only person she knew that didn't have a sibling. Okay. And I was like,
0: knife in the heart.
1: (laughs) okay. And interestingly Mm -hmm. enough, she's, it wasn't my own longing and want for another child. It really was wanting to give her that opportunity to have a, to at least try to give her a sibling Mm -hmm. um, with like another medical intervention. So I remember she looked at me, it was like after like the third IUI had failed. And she just looked at me, she didn't know what was going on at that point, but she just looked at me and she said, Mason is her little cousin. Mm -hmm. And she was like, well, Mason has a brother and a sister. And then she started naming all of her friends. And she's like, why am I the only one that doesn't have a brother or sister? And I actually ended up telling her, I just was very candid and open that it's been hard for mommy and daddy to have a baby, Mm -hmm. but we'll continue to try. And then that's when I said to my husband, okay, let's do this. Let's, Mm -hmm. let's jump on the IVF train. Okay. So then what happened? So it's October of 2019, I do my egg retrieval, I was on Gonol Cetratide, and I already kind of knew that I was going to be a lunatic on these drugs, I just, I had been on Femara for my, uh, uh, for my IUIs, and that made me a lunatic, so I get on these drugs, and like starting on day two, I am an emotional basket case, I'm exhausted. I'm coming upstairs and going to bed by 7.30 PM and having this like overwhelmingly guilty feeling of, I'm trying so hard to have this other baby and I can't even be a good mom to the child that I have now. Mm -hmm. I was just so clocked out of parenting uh, Mm -hmm. going through that time. And fortunately, my husband was very supportive and just said to me, this is not forever. And you're doing this for our family and you're the one who's taking the hit. So you got to kind of give yourself a little credit here and just like, go take care of yourself. Um, Sweet. Yes. Neil. Well, that therapy that we ended up going to was really helpful. Yeah. We got an incredible toolbox from that therapist just in terms of like what to expect. She was, she had been through infertility herself and been through IVF herself. Mm -hmm. So not only did she have training in therapy as a psychologist, but she also knew like actually knew it, which was really helpful. Yeah. So, did my egg retrieval at, on Halloween of October 2019, mm-hmm. and we ended up getting. And then you start the numbers game, of course. Right. Twelve eggs retrieved. Only ten of those were mature. Only seven of those fertilized. Only four of those made it to blastocyst. And then based on these. Uh, the chemical pregnancy and the miscarriage that I had, my doctor did suggest that we do some PGS testing. He was also pretty convinced that I had been having chemical pregnancies prior because they were tracking me so much through that whole time that we were trying to do my diagnosis Mm -hmm. and my, and Neil and I were continuing to try anyway, and my lining would get so thick, but I wasn't actually always taking a pregnancy test. So he was like, I think there could be something else going on. Let's do some PGS testing. We did that. And the four embryos that we had, two of them came back, PGS tested normal. Mm-hmm. I decided I wanted to take a break. Yeah, I was not ready to do a retrieval. We were coming up on the holiday season with Thanksgiving and Hanukkah and Christmas and just like the most wonderful time of the year. Mm-hmm. And I did not want to have the devastation of a failed transfer cloud that time of year. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be able to drink whatever I wanted and eat right, whatever exactly. I wanted. So we took a break and we started the transfer protocol on December 31st, 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, I was on a month long stint of Lupron. Did you do Lupron during your...
0: I did not. No.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you, Lupron to me is the devil drug. Yes, it is. Me, me. It is a drug that puts you into pre-menopause and I was having hot flashes and just like dry as the Sahara down there. Like everything mm-hmm. was terrible, like dry, dry down in my vagina area, sweating like a lunatic in my armpits. Like yeah,
0: it's just all dis- messed up. Yeah. it
1: was <laughs> So messed up. And then we introduced the estrogen patches and the PIO shots. And I was terrified of the PIO shots.
0: Yeah. Cause um, it's that big old needle, right?
1: Yes. And my husband and I I figured out that if you slap your ass pretty hard before you give yourself the shot, you don't feel the shot go in. So (laughs) my tip for, for all of you, it's fun Um, for everybody. It is. And actually somebody had said to me when they, um, when they tried it, they were like, not only does it work, but it adds some humor to this, like very horrific, awful thing that we're having to go through. Exactly. I love that. Yeah. So Smack my ass. Exactly. And I did a lot of my PIO shots myself. So I was like smacking my own ass and just mm-hmm. cracking up at the situation. <laughs> so we did the transfer January 30th of 2020. And we were so fortunate that our very first transfer worked. And yeah. here I am 38 weeks pregnant. Yes. Um, but it was interesting because I wasn't celebrating when my transfer worked. Like right. I was a person who always took pregnancy tests before betas. And when we got the positive pregnancy test, Neil and I looked at each other and we were like, meh, like we, there was no. So feeling. this is a home test that you did. Did you not believe
0: it? Or were you just like protecting your heart or what was going on?
1: I believed that I was pregnant, but I did not believe that it was safe. Stick. Yeah. I didn't believe that, you know, in the magical thinking universe, that it was safe for me to be remotely excited about this because it would be taken away from me. Right. And it really wasn't, you know, I have my first beta, my numbers are great. And then I'm like, okay, well, by my second beta, I'll start to feel better about this. Mm -hmm. Second beta comes and goes and I don't feel better about it. Well, by my third beta, same thing. My first ultrasound, I'll feel better. Don't Mm -hmm. feel better about it. I personally wasn't able to really embrace this pregnancy until viability week, which is 24 weeks where Mm. if the baby is born, there is a chance the baby can survive. And then that's when I was like, okay, this is real. And I can kind of relax a little bit. Mm -hmm. So,
0: so interesting that you say that. And I think a lot of people can relate to that too, is like, after you've had a loss, it's just hard to breathe. It's hard to exhale. It's you're up constantly on pins and needles, waiting for the other shoe to drop. All the cliches, like all, all that stuff. All the cliches. Right?
1: All the cliches are true. <laughs> what did other
0: you? term can I think of? Yeah. Did you
1: wanting feel all that?
0: your ducks in a row? And like,
1: well, after I know you had multiple miscarriages, mm-hmm. did you feel that way after your transfer? Your and you got your positive tests.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was a little bit naive, and again, like you, I was lucky that my first transfer with my only viable embryo did take. And we had agreed that we were only going to do it once. So if that hadn't worked, we would have been just a family of three. And I had been going to therapy to get to the point where I was going to be okay with that. And I did feel okay with that. So it was kind of like I had, it was, you know, you're bringing so much into it. Like it's so fraught and it's so like, it's so complicated, all these emotions. Um, I do remember when I, when they called me. They were like, you're pregnant, call us when you deliver. And I was like, what? And <laughs> and it's funny, we didn't do like betas. Like, I don't remember going in for another beta. Like my next appointment was an ultrasound, like weeks later, which right. is weird. It's different now, even though it's only, he's only four and a half years old.
1: Well, sometimes I wonder if all of this testing, the consistent testing that we have, it kind of made me crazy.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think in answer to your question though, sorry, is that I I think- I wasn't able to fully relax, but I was also like, oh, IVF works. Like I hadn't been through the ringer as much as so many other women in our community have been that right. I just kind of was like, it worked. Cool. Great. So I don't think I was as nervous right. as maybe I probably should have been, you know? Well,
1: no, should or shouldn't. I think the thing that I've really learned about hearing so many women's stories and and y- when you're going through this is that- any way you're going to process this is a valid way to process it. I'm incredibly superstitious and had been through what I had been through. And it wasn't as if I wasn't able to get out of bed and I was paralyzed and I couldn't function that I was so scared during this pregnancy. It was more just like, I'm pretending like this isn't happening Mm -hmm. for a while. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of women feel that way. I know it's really hard to just fully embrace the pregnancy when you've had any sort of loss and i also but i also think too there's no perfect way to handle it because even at times where i had been manifesting and had didn't have the outcome that i wanted i was devastated mm-hmm. and then at times that i was protecting my heart and didn't have the outcome that i wanted i was devastated so there's no perfect way to process this where you completely protect yourself and you walk away from news that you don't want unharmed
0: right exactly so well said yeah so well said can we talk a little bit more about secondary infertility from your point of view yes um, it's such a again complicated thing right it's there's guilt involved there's so many feelings so what was your like secondary infertility experience and I think I said this too you before but I again, I didn't even know what secondary infertility was. It wasn't called that. Nobody said that to me when I was going through it. Isn't that weird?
1: That is interesting. And I didn't, I had no idea that secondary infertility even existed until I got diagnosed with it. And I actually remember thinking after I had, after I got pregnant with Isla that I was like, Oh, well, thank God. I'm not going to have to worry about infertility. Mm -hmm. I had that actual thought because I had some friends who were going through infertility and I was like, Ooh, we escaped that. So I had no idea what it was. And I think the first thing for me that happened before the diagnosis, when we were struggling to get pregnant, I felt even to myself, you can't be that upset if this doesn't happen for you because you already have one. Mm -hmm. So I was putting that on myself. There was, you know, nobody had really said that to me. I was the one who said it to myself first. Right. And in therapy, in my own therapy, not couples therapy, but in my own therapy, working with my therapist, talking that out, it's like your, it really was more of a protection mode for myself to not allow myself to go to the dark place. And Then, though, as I started to be more open about what was going on, there was a lot of those comments of like, well, at the end of the day, you have Isla and you're so lucky. And part of me genuinely did feel that way, though. Mm -hmm. I was mentally preparing for it to just be the three of us. And but then the flip side of it, the devastation is real. I so badly wanted to go through that newborn phase again and have a baby and give Isla a sibling and Victoria from expecting anything on Instagram recently Mm -hmm. said something to me that really resonated in terms of secondary infertility, Mm -hmm. that you're not just grieving the loss of what you might not have. You're also grieving the loss of what your child won't have. Right. And as I said before, when we were talking about this, that- that's what really hit me. Like when Isla said to me, why don't I have a a brother or sister? I was like, God, that's so hard. So, you know, secondary infertility from my perspective is just a whole, I would never compare it to primary infertility because I don't know how to do that. I don't know what it's like to go go through that. And I honestly can only imagine how hard that is, Mm -hmm. but secondary infertility has its own bag of lunacy and guilt (laughs) and craziness. And I really also, again, felt when even before I started IVF treatments, I was so just down as we were talking about before, again, that I wasn't myself. I wasn't a great mom. And so I had this guilt factor of I'm not even being a good mom to the kid I already have. Mm -hmm. So what am I doing trying to have another one?
0: Right. Right. Yeah. It's tough.
1: What about you? We're so hard on
0: ourselves. Oh God, It was the same thing. Um, you know, I, I just, I don't, again, I think comparing it's, it's hard not to sometimes, but it like doesn't do anybody any good comparing grief or comparing what I've been through compared to her or whatever. I just know that I was in the complete state of depression and hell and all I wanted was this fucking baby. And I couldn't understand why it wasn't happening. So I didn't see it as secondary infertility because it was my first time going through infertility. So I thought, you know what I mean? Like, right. so I don't know. I feel like the term secondary kind of minimizes it a little bit. That's how I feel about the term chemical pregnancy.
1: Yes. Not, you know, but then you don't want to get to, like, I would never compare a chemical pregnancy to, I mean, the news right now is about Chrissy Teigen and John legend losing their son, Jack. Like, but what you said, the comparison shouldn't even exist.
0: Right. It's like a loss is a loss, right? Exactly. Yeah. Pain is your pain. And that's what we try to, to do in our like support groups and stuff a lot. And I know you do this as well, you know, you try to validate what people are going through and, mm-hmm. you know, women need to grieve what they're grieving. And even if it's not a tangible loss, sometimes it's the loss of a dream. It's the loss of what might've been. And that sometimes is just as hard.
1: Exactly. Uh, um, so I, mean, I think even before a- we started our treatments month after month, when I was getting negative pregnancy test after negative pregnancy test, I was devastated right. just like, exhausted. And how am I going to gear myself up to try again next month and get hopeful next month? Or it's just, it sucks. It sucks Mm -hmm. no matter how you slice it. Mm -hmm.
0: Tell me about your Instagram, because I, again, that's one of the reasons that I feel like we've become such good friends is we're very like simpatico and being like raw and real and my, one of my favorite things about people is self-deprecation. And I love that quality in a human being (laughs) and you have that in spades and I love it. You're not afraid to post an unflattering picture, which I think is beautiful, but you think it's unflattering. You know what I mean? Like you show all the stuff. So recently you posted something and your daughter had taken a picture of you. And as you just said, you're very pregnant. You look stunning But you said, when you looked at the picture, you thought about your armpit fat and your droopy boobs and your cellulite and your stretch marks. And I think it's so powerful that you posted that because your daughter was like, mama, your hair looks so pretty and the baby looks so cozy in your tummy. And when your boobies going to make milk. And that like made me well up because it's so awesome that she saw the beauty in that. And like, we're so hard on ourselves as women. So tell me about why you posted that.
1: I was sitting doing laundry, like having a hot flash and I was in my bra and my underwear and my daughter has gotten (laughs) into photography lately. Um, Not just on the iPhone, but also she loves to like take pictures with the little camera we got her. And she was just, we were sitting there talking and she was saying something super cute and took a picture of me. And she just handed me back the phone and was like, look at this. And like you just said, I immediately went to like oh my God, my vagina armpit. Like I have this like (laughs) armpit fad that looks like a vagina and the cellulite and like my boobs are resting on my stomach. And I was so critical. And I didn't say any of that out loud, but in my head. And then my daughter said everything that you just said, and I got choked up. And Mm -hmm. I was like, it was so wonderful to see myself through my daughter's eyes Mm -hmm. versus through my own eyes. And I've, was just, I wanted to share that with everybody in terms of we are our own worst critics. We beat ourselves up for what we are or what we aren't. And when we can take a step back and see ourselves, not just through our children's eyes, but through somebody else's eyes, Mm -hmm. nobody is a worse critic of ourselves than ourselves. Like we are the ones that are so hard on ourselves. And I, I really wanted to share that with everybody because I'm just I'm tired of, I'm 37 years old and I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted right. with being so hard on myself. And I remember my mom saying this too, that she just finally got to a point in her life where she was tired of being so hard on herself. Yeah. And what a waste it is though, that it takes us like getting, you know, close to our forties and into our forties. Yeah. To really start embracing the fact that like, it's a fucking waste of time for me to sit here and constantly beat myself up. Yeah. And, but you can't get there without all of the other wisdom that you have in your life and all of the other experiences that you've had in your life. So I want to do whatever I can to help speed up that process. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot, like I'm one of the oldies in the community, which is Mm -hmm. interesting as well. If you're old, I'm like geriatric (laughs) times a hundred. I think I'm the oldest. (laughs) But you're the wisest. Oh God. (laughs) You were close. But it's, um, you know, I want to speed up that process if I can. I mean, I don't know if it's possible. It's really hard. You know, my mom also always said, You have to go through your own experiences and learn everything by yourself in certain things. There's, there's only so much that somebody can teach you and it's your own life experiences that get you to where you're going to be. Right. And, but I want to be like in my Instagram account in general, to me, it's really important to be fully transparent and not, you know perfectly curated. Like that's just not who I am. Some of these other feeds are beautiful and gorgeous and amazing and inspire in other ways. For me, it's just like, I'm a disaster. Like I'm unorganized in general in my life. I humor is my coping mechanism. And there are so many different things that people bring to the Instagram community when it comes to infertility. And I want to bring, you know, some, the real and the raw of how yeah. much this fucking sucks, totally. but also find yes. some humor in some of this as well. So, yeah. you know, talking about vaginas and the way that exactly. they smell. Exactly, exactly.
0: Thank you so much for listening guys. And Monica, I love you. I adore you. You're the greatest. Thank you for sharing your story today with our listeners, a quick reminder Fertility Rally is happening October 24th. We're in the home stretch. It's almost here. We've been planning this for months and we would love to see you there. We really want to support you and rally with you. So check out fertilityrally.com for more info. All right. Talk to you guys next time.